We are in our second week in our journey through the book of Hebrews, and it has already been amazing. I, I'm amazed how, 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 God's, um, how God always speaks to the messenger first before he delivers the message. And so my heart has just been um, overwhelmed by what I believe he's going to say to us today, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Steve. That, uh, that's a man after my own heart right there. Look at that. Our series is titled Between Two Worlds, and, and uh, we're going to unpack that, that, that meaning each week as we continue. Last week I made a statement, and some of you um, scientists corrected me. When I was talking about our universe traveling through the space, you know, at, at you know, almost 3 million miles an hour, and I have one of my favorite guys, I'm going to tell you who it is, come up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, that is not true. <laughs> You're talking about galaxy, man. It's the galaxy. It's our galaxy. Millions and millions of galaxies, Pastor. So if you're listening to the tape, you know, if you're on the, online on the podcast, your pastor meant to say galaxies instead of universes last week. I want to make that correction. Okay. Now I got that out of the way. This is my favorite time of the year, man. It is. I, I, I love the changing seasons in Alaska. Ryan Stevens and I were talking about that this week. And, and, and fall is my favorite time of the year by far, you know. Um, I love the fall because where my wife and I are situated, we're in the foothills of the Chugach Mountains. We have a snapshot, a bird's eye view of the mountainside. And the Levines um, hit me to this a long time ago. They said, listen, man, you can, you can watch fall happen because it descends down the mountains and the foliage begins to change and the leaves begin to change at the higher elevations and then it just kind of works its way down to the foothills until fall is completely nestled in and if you pay attention every day every day is different and it is spectacular and I'm telling you every day of fall is spectacular it really is you know my wife and I we kind of kick off the fall. We know that this is a change in seasons for us when we have to take our hanging baskets, our flowers, off of, uh, off of their normal place, and we take them to Bell's Nursery so they can be nursed through the entire winter. And so that's, that's basically our time to know that fall is here and it's time for us to change from summer to fall. Also, for me, I know that it's time, you know, when I hear, y'all guys know what that is, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I, I'm sorry, ladies. I know, you know, you might not like football like I do, but, but I'm a lover of football, man. I'm a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I throw that in there. The only six-time Super Bowl champions, but we won't talk about it. That's not part of the message today. But I love fall, man. I love the changing of the seasons. And, and you know, I was talking about flowers earlier. I think my, we have flowers all over our house. The, 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 my favorite flower is the peony of the ones that we have, is the peony. Because what I love about the peony is the life cycle that it, it goes through every single year. This cycle is characterized by, by growth stages in each single season. For example, the fall, right now we have, we have this plant that's, that's very, very green, and, and in the fall what we do is we have to cut it all the way down to almost just like this high above the ground. 
And what happens is the bulb goes into this dormant state where it's colorless and it's, it's lifeless and it's, it's covered in dirt. You know, not even a hint of life as fall progresses. And then the winter comes and the bulb lays dormant underneath the frozen ground. As a matter of fact, it's underneath a blanket of snow. And unless you knew that it was there, you wouldn't even know that it existed. Then early spring happens, which happens to be my worst time of the year. I hate spring. I don't hate it, but I dislike it strongly. It's wet. It's soggy. Everything's brown. There's, there's um, uh, trash all over the place. The whole city smells like dog doo-doo. If you've been here for a long time, I'm just being straight with you. If you've been here for a long time, the whole city smells like that, right? It's the worst, my worst time of the year. And here's the thing. That plant that's under the ground, that peony, that bulb, the brown stems still stick up out of the ground. And even though it's, it hasn't quite reached its peak of its growth, or even the time where it's going to grow, you can now see that it's still there in the early spring. The shoot, however, is vulnerable. Because like, like Alaska, what happens sometimes is unseasonable temperature drops happen. And if that happens and the shoot is above the ground, it could damage or even kill the plant. Then late spring rolls around and the ground is thawing and the moisture in the ground triggers the bulb and the roots begin to thaw out and search for nourishment. And then underneath some things begin to develop and the plant shoots spring to life. In the summer, the summer is the full season of glory for the peony. It's a full season of, of bloom where it's in its full color and it's spectacular. More color than, than many can possibly imagine with all the different species of peonies. And now the peonies in the fullness of its glory. I think the growing cycle of a peony is a great metaphor for our life's experiences. And this is particularly true, family, as it relates to our spiritual lives. See, we experience spiritual growth every single time we go through different seasons in our lives, even though some of the seasons that we go through are less desirable than others. When we first enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it feels like spring. You know, we're optimistic about the promise of this new life of exceedingly and abundant joy that we've been promised in him. But then there are times on this journey things seem to pale in comparison to what we've been promised, isn't it? In Christ, we've been promised a life that's supposed to be in full bloom, filled with glory and, and the radiance of summer, but instead sometimes it feels like it's fall. Life seems dull, seems colorless, bland, feels like you've been covered in dirt. Sometimes I know in my spiritual life, it even seems like it's endless winter. The world outside seems so cold and it seems so cruel. And I don't know about you, but the Alaskan winters up here can get really tough, can't they? You know, long, dark nights and days, depressing and discouraging, constant cold that never seems to let up can often, often lead to feelings of depression 
and hopelessness. It's like God doesn't even know that I exist. And if he does, does he even care? These times. These times life may even feel meaningless and it may feel cruel. In these times it's difficult to sustain our passion for our faith when the environment that the world has to offer us and the world that we live in is so hostile. Difficult times. I believe that this accurately describes what's going on at the time the preacher wrote this sermon that we know as the book of Hebrews. And so just for some context, I want to reach back and grab a couple points that I made last week about this sermon. First, the author of this sermon, this book, is, is unknown. And though we don't know who the author is, we do know what the sermon is about. It's a message of encouragement. It's a message to have faith in times where things seem really, really difficult and hard. It's a message addressed to a small group of, of Christians that are called Messianic Jews, if you will, who were being persecuted for their faith. They were, they were displaced people, many of them Jews living in Rome and, and away from their homeland with no rights of citizenship where they were at. They were disliked people, hated by the Jews, because they claimed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and that went against the culture of the Jews. And they were hated by the Romans because they refused to bow down to Caesar or any of the gods of Rome. They were hanging between two worlds in a world of persecution. They were distressed people because they were under intense persecution under the rule of Nero, and they suffered physical and emotional and sociological hardship and were under constant pressure to conform to the world around them. They had been given a promise of abundant life. They had been given a, a promise of a life that's filled with peace and, and joy and, and hope and glory and splendor and wonder. They were promised a life in Christ that would, that would be in full bloom, and their life paled in comparison to that promise as this sermon was written. You know, our lives today are nearly as hard as, as what the followers experienced back in, in those days. But I'll tell you something, if you're struggling or if you've ever struggled with the conflict between what you believe by faith and what you see with your eyes currently, then this passage today has been written for you. This section of Scripture, this, these five verses here contain the entire theme, the central theme for the entire book, the entire sermon in Hebrews. These five verses. So I've titled this message today, But We See Jesus. But We See Jesus. Let's go to the Scripture. We're going to pick it up in... Verse 5 of chapter 2. Now it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I want to draw my first point from, from verse 5 of this passage. And here's what it says. It's, it was, for it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. And here's my first point. We were made to experience glory. We were made to experience glory. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, and this is what he said. He said, when you pray to the Father, pray that your kingdom come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The world to come, family, will be the fulfillment of that prayer. But it's not the reality that we live in today. It's not. The world to come speaks of an age when, when all of the earth will be returned and restored back to its original condition that we find in, in, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And, and verses 7 and 8 in this passage are a modified quote from Psalms 8 that speaks to the authority that was given to us by God in Genesis 1 and 2. Authority over all of God's creation. See, we were created in the expressed image of God. We were crowned in his glory. We were given total authority over all of creation. That's what Psalms 8 speaking to. Listen to what it says. It's a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Dropping down to verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We were made to experience, we were created to experience the glory of God in this realm. But you and I know that it's not like that for us today, is it? Today, this morning, we'll sing songs about the power and the authority of God and his power on the inside of us. And tomorrow morning, we'll get up and we'll look at the news. And if we're not careful, the songs that we sing today, even though they ring to us today, they'll seem almost naive or irrelevant tomorrow because of what we'll see and what we will hear. For example, from last week's local debates here, the woes of our education system and our school system. Locally, the, the, the ecological challenges of, of the pebble mine and what that offers. And then to worldwide news, last week and the week before, two American hostages being brutally executed on a worldwide stage for all to see. Our current reality. 
is that everything is not in subjection to us. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Far from being under our control, the world seems dangerously out of control, doesn't it? It does. But the scripture tells us, family, that we were created by God to rule. We were made to experience glory. The problem is, we don't always see it in our daily lives. We don't always see it in our daily lives. We do not see the glory in our daily lives. The writer of Hebrews and the psalmist says it well in verse 8b of Hebrews. It says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, talking about mankind. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you, but did you know I showed you the picture of the, the full-blown peony? And I said that's kind of like a, a depiction of how our spiritual life is. My life at times is not a full-blown peony in its full bloom doesn't feel radiant all the time. And so, you know, you have to ask, if I've been given all this power and authority, why is my life in such disarray? I know God has designed me to rule, Pastor, but sometimes it's tough for me even to rule my thought life. Any of you know what I'm talking about? And it's living in, in the, the tension that I feel when I'm expected by faith to believe that I'll be victorious through this difficult season in my life, even though I can't see it right now. It's a tension that I live in. What do I do when the season that I'm going through is not commensurate with what the promise of God gave me? If I've been promised peace like a river, why am I so disturbed? If I've been promised joy unspeakable and full of glory, why am I so sad most of the time? If there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, why do I always feel so guilty from time to time about my past mistakes that I'm supposed to be forgiven for? Why do I feel so bad about the dirty secrets of my past if there's no condemnation? Why am I so fearful? Why must I wait for some day in the future? Why can't I be happy now? What about now? Why does life feel so hopeless sometimes? Why do I feel hopeless today? Any of you ever been there? You know, whether you've been there or even if you're there right now, even if you where your faith is being challenged right now, I want to offer you a new life-giving perspective. I want to show you how we can quit looking at the world around us, hoping that some experience that the world will give us will, will, will validate our faith for us. Because it won't. So, family, for my final point today, I want to return again to the central theme of this sermon, which is the distance between what I can see with my eyes and what can only be known by faith. 
if we want to see, and I love the word see in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it means experience. It means to experience. Remember the psalm David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He said, oh, taste and experience. Come and experience the goodness of the Lord. If we want to experience personal victory in the dark seasons of our life, if we want to see real hope, of God's glory in our daily lives, we have to focus our eyes on Jesus. We have to focus our eyes on Jesus. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 12 that we've given the power, we've been given the power, family, to lay aside every weight and everything that will distract us. We have the authority to lay those things down when we fix our eyes on Jesus. Watch this now. The author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. <laughs> and listen, we can look to the life of Jesus Christ as an example to follow, can't we? Verse 9 tells us we should look to Jesus because he's been where we are. He's already experienced the fall. He suffered the humility of surrender. And though he was fully God, he, he lowered himself. He humbled himself. He laid aside his rightful authority and his rightful glory for a season to become fully man. He's already been through the toughest winter any human being could ever face. The, the, the creator, the sustainer of all life, the resurrection and the life, surrendered temporarily to the sting of death. He lived and he loved and he lost those who he cherished the most in this world just like we do. He suffered through some of the real world experiences just like we do. This cold and cruel world dealt with him the same way that it dealt with us. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that he is our great high priest. And we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who can. We have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet did not sin. And then Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, he says, the same relationship that I enjoyed with the Father while I was here on earth is available to you now, my brothers and sisters. The same joy that Jesus possessed in God has been given to us in him. Not a different joy, the same joy. The same glory that the Father gave to him, he gives to us. We can only realize it in part right now, but one day we're going to see it in full. Verse 9 tells us that he tasted death for everyone. That word taste doesn't mean to sample. It doesn't mean to go to like you go to Costco and you get a taster. It doesn't mean that. It means that he was a full partaker of death. Why? For us. So that we could reign eternally 
with him in life. That's why he did it. And so like, unlike any other person in human history who didn't have a choice whether they were to live or to die, Jesus Christ had a choice. He was God in the flesh, and he chose to die for us willingly. He's a great example for us. And we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. Lance, you can bring the team up. You know, family, after, after doing this message and spending time in this passage this week, I'm not sure if I can ever look at a peony the same again. I'm not sure that I can ever look at a peony without ever seeing the heart of Jesus Christ for me. I'm not sure. I don't think I can. Every fall, that flower is going to die. The flower is going to fall off of, of the bulb, and, and it's, going to, it's going to die, and in doing so, it surrenders the, the luring of its fragrance. It surrenders the uniqueness of its petals. It surrenders the glory of its beauty in exchange for the dank, dark, dirt, and dullness of a bulb in the ground but only for a season, only for a season. I'm reminded of the psalmist who said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Life comes in the morning. And make no mistake, there is life in the bulb. And so no matter how harsh the winter may seem and barring any unforeseen act, that new life is going to burst forth out of the ground again in the spring. It will. And the result of enduring several seasons of hardship will be this beautiful flower in full bloom in all of its radiance and all of its glory, the way that it was designed by God to be from the very beginning. And may that be a metaphor for our spiritual lives. There is nothing that you can go through that you can't get through if you fix your eyes on Jesus. No matter how deep the despair, no matter how dark the depression, there is nothing that you can't be victorious in in life if we fix our eyes on Jesus, yeah. the author and the perfecter.